This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. You want to bring your bold idea to life? Join us on this episode as Armin and I talk about five tools to beat distraction. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to really a special edition of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we call this a special edition because this is the time that Armin and I get to just dialogue about a topic that we think is important when you want to pursue your bold idea. And so today we're going to dive in on that. But first, I want to let our listening audience know that there is a new member in the A-team. So Armin and Ashley and Ada have now a new child in their home. Right. Hey, Armin, tell us about your girl. That's right. So my baby girl was just born. Uh, her name is Avia Pearl Asadi. She Ooh. is a future Navy SEAL, I think. <laughs> Because it was the fastest delivery I've ever seen in my life, I think. I mean, we, we got to the hospital at 240, and she was out by 513. My wife pushed five times, and just, there was there was the baby. There's the baby. Like, there was no tearing. There was no struggle. I, if you look at the pictures that we took, Larry, after she gave birth, look, I've seen her look more tired from going to the gym. <laughs> she just looked like she just got home from work. And you'll find you'll find all those birthing videos right on our web. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Full on. <laughs> well, congratulations, Thanks, Armin. Man. So exciting, and and I know the last time that we had Armin on an episode when after he had a new child, um, you fell asleep. On, <laughs> you, you, he actually, his head hit the microphone because he was so tired uh, after Ada was born. Uh, it was really a hoot. So, yep. Uh, and throw my, you know, down moments of my life out there for everyone to know. I fall asleep <laughs> on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm handicapped this time around. In fact, we're in the darkened studios of, of uh, the Bold Idea podcast because I decided I was going to stick a finger in my eye. <laughs> I laugh every time I still can't believe it. I don't know what happened. I just woke up one morning and just this last week and my thumb just found its way to my eye and it scratched my cornea and gosh. Uh, the best part is you post it on Facebook. Everyone is like praying for you and hoping for all the best. And, and I'm dying laughing. And you're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I felt so I bad, but no, I, I think you could probably identify with it. I was actually laughing when I wrote the post. I was like, how do I do this to myself? As far as I know, it was entirely unprovoked. Armin, I did nothing for my left thumb to, and, and it was like, almost like watching it in slow motion, come right into my eye. No. And there wasn't anything I could do to stop it. And, uh, you know, nail first and boy, is oh, it excruciating. Man. That sucks. Uh, but we know, <laughs> we know our listeners have much more critical things that probably are, are, uh, are afflicting them. But right. it, it's interesting because maybe uh, between a birth of a child and uh, a poke in the eye, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe this is fitting for our topic here because actually what we want to talk about are five tools to beat distraction. And we really want to talk about the idea that we can get so knocked off course. I'll tell you, just this little scratch in my cornea has just been so painful. I mean, it's, yep. it's wiped me out. As you know, you've been spent some time here with me in pre-show prep and 
and he's still laughing at me actually <laughs> as I'm kind of walking around in shades and trying to trying to deal with all the stuff about that but um, there are so many things that can come at us that can knock us off course on our bold idea and you know our bold idea deserves attention and it's so easy to get distracted isn't it Armin oh my gosh are you kidding yeah I mean there's everything that comes up during the day and I love the verse in Ephesians 5.15. It says, make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. And I kind of think about the days plotting these these uh, opportunities, you know, the, to, to kill uh, opportunities that we have, right. you know, and, and there's like always something that can distract us from God's best intention for us. Right. And I think we need to be vigilant and be on the lookout for it and set up the guardrails to keep us from distraction. Now, I am probably either the least qualified or the most qualified to talk about this or both (laughs) (laughs) because I am so easily distracted. I love spontaneity. You know, somebody comes along and says, Hey, let's go get ice cream and a movie. I mean, those are like two big things for me. It doesn't almost matter what it is. It's like, you know, I love ice cream and I love watching movies and it's easy to knock me off my game. Mm -hmm. Um, But we want to talk about how do we build uh, some, tools that we have readily at our disposal. How do we get at that to become less distractible? Because distraction, I think, is a number one killer of a bold idea. It totally is. And let me just add, you're you're the only guy that I know that in the middle of a deep conversation actually stopped it to point out a squirrel. When did I do that? Remember your white squirrel outside oh, oh, here? Yeah. We were in a deep discussion about the podcast. You were in mid sentence. And, and, we I, and back, I literally oh, said squirrel. squirrel. And you showed me your white squirrel. And we talked about it for 10 minutes. So, literally, you know, it was a squirrel. And, um, you know, that's. What you know? What's funny about that is that it probably happens so frequently. I just don't even recognize it, right? So it was a good laugh. Yeah, you know the old uh, the old hymn, "Prone to Wander." Yeah, <laughs> and I and I and I think I am. There, there's a lot of things in life that make us prone to wander, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a lot of things that's going to work against a bold idea. Um, you know, I think one of them is just the inertia that we have of the present stuff that's going on in our lives. You know, we, it's, it's, well, it's Newton's law that says a thing, a body at rest will stay at rest. An object in motion will stay in motion unless something acts against it. And, and the, the whole idea of that is that if we are going to create a bold idea, it means it takes effort to do so because otherwise we'll just continue, you know, just kind of doing the same thing day after day after day. Yeah, it's easy to stay on the path that we're on rather than make the change for a bold idea, especially if that bold idea requires focus, it requires uh, effort, it requires research, it requires anything, right? And so, Oh, yeah, it's so much easier just to default or, you know, take an excuse to not do it. Well, if you think about it, the, the path that you're on, you've already created a habit around. You know, it, it, it's you have muscle mem- muscle memory around mm-hmm. it. You don't have to go through the beginning phases, you know, where it hurts or you're unsure, where you mm-hmm. screw up. You, you've got it down to a science, adding something new or going after something new. You have to go through all the beginning pains again. And it's so much easier to stay in the comfort of what you already know or the it, path it, that you're it is. on. It is. And I think one of our Reinventure Me podcasts, we talked about the the pain of being a new beginner in right. something, you know, right. trying to learn something again for the first time is 
it, it knocks us off. It, it gives us um, a, a sense of, well, we, we don't feel as confident and we feel like, uh, you know, we're a beginner and uh, because we don't have that same level of competence or competence, right. uh, you know, it's harder to embrace. Yeah. And so it is a harder thing to do. So inertia is one of those things that works against a bold idea. The other one is unanticipated demands. There's things in our lives that are going to come up that we didn't expect that could be good or bad, but right. uh, they can hit us. Oh, totally. I mean, it could be a family emergency. It could be some financial issue that you didn't come see coming and all of a sudden now you have to spend more money than you had saved or planned for and now you have this new emergency that didn't exist before. Um, and you even earlier, you were saying it doesn't always have to be an emergency. It can be an opportunity, <laughs> a concert coming up. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Well, Why let's, keep let's, working? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. I mean, the, the other things that our anticipated demands, I would say, as even um, just taking a break, but you know, like the break that you might need might be 15, 30 minutes away, but the break that you might take might be a trip over the weekend, which is the exact opposite of what you need. Oh, you know what I found uh, that's a big distraction for me is I start out taking a break, but I end up taking a binge. <laughs> so like, Netflix. Well, well here's, yeah exactly I'll, I'll watch netflix or some some series on hbo and it's like okay it's 30 minutes i'll just watch this thing and then it's like okay the next episode you notice how they have it it's automatically Automatic. gonna play <laughs> in six seconds or 10 seconds if you don't do anything well again back to inertia it's easier not to do anything yep. and let the next episode play you know? i didn't push the play button so what happens it's just playing on its own i'm just gonna sit here and watch it you know make it through 10 seasons of friends or whatever you know <laughs> four hours later exactly. well, a 15 four. minute break going there <laughs> exactly all right but one of the things that really i think is more insidious it's harder for us to detect uh, but uh, we know it's all around us and we interact with it every day is all of the internet enabled technologies. You oh, know, geez. we have the, yeah. we have our cell phones, yeah. you know, I mean, I can't leave home without my cell phone. Cause I feel like I'm going out the door naked, oh, you know, totally. um, it, it is my communication with the world. Of course it is my business communication. If I don't have my mobile phone, then I can't conduct business, mm -hmm. but I know that it's more than that. You know, mm -hmm. you sit at a stoplight and you look to do, check emails to see if any emails have sure. come in just yeah. while you're sitting at a stoplight. Well, wait a minute, you know, back in the day, <laughs> you know, you, you only could check emails when you were at a computer and nobody needed to have that kind of instant uh, awareness of what's going on. Yeah. Right. And, and we have now everything that's hit. I don't know. I have to go through my phone. I just had to have it re, um, reset, which means I have to go through and all the notifications that would normally come at me, I had to turn off because oh, I'll geez. get notified of everything, you know, uh, uh, Regal Cinemas will send me a notification. New movies in town, and Netflix new series is out. A weather alert is out. An Amber alert. You know, we'll get all kinds of <laughs> alerts on our phones. But it goes further than that. You know, your dishwasher will beep at you when dishes are done. You might have, you know, one of those yep. refrigerators with the <laughs> with the consoles on it that will tell you when you're out of milk. That's you right. get your Amazon Echo or whatever that can tell you when you need to order something new. You know, it's just. The IoT generation. It is the Internet of Things. It's enabling us to just be alerted at any time, and it causes us to create really an ADD society. Right. 
Uh, there was a report that uh, Ball State University put out um, in 2009, and it and it really pointed out that most Americans, and it doesn't matter what our age, but we'll spend at least eight and a half hours a day looking at a screen, whether it's a television, a computer monitor, a mobile phone, and it, and oftentimes we have more than one of those going at a time, and I. That's exactly right. There's, yeah. I, I might be watching television. I'll have my iPad with me and my mobile phone. Oh, that's religious for me. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, a television might encourage it, you know, cause there's like, this is an interactive series, you know, kind of do this thing or, you know, I might want to keep an eye on one thing and keep an eye on something else. Well, what ends up happening is all that stuff contributes to how we start to think less deeply about things. Right. And oh, to add to that, even the, the whole screen time thing uh, I think it was either ASTD or Harvard did a did a study and they uh, realized compared to uh, 2007 compared to 2017, our our um, attention spans went from 17 seconds to eight seconds. Yeah. So we have eight seconds of attention on any one thing before we need something new, and that's that's insane. Eight seconds. It used to be. It you takes know- me longer to pee. <laughs> You know, it used to be when Sesame Street came out, you know, it was like this real hit kind of thing. And then MTV was one of those, you know, everything is changing so frequently, but now it's even faster than that. It's nuts. I mean, just watching my daughter, she can't even watch a little show on an iPad for more than 10 seconds before going to the next one. Anyways, McKinsey, uh, in 2012, McKinsey did a study that found that the average knowledge worker now spends more than 60% of the work week engaged in electronic communication and internet searching with close to 30% of workers time dedicated to reading and answering emails alone. Yeah. Well, 30% wouldn't do it for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you live in it. <laughs> no, I got 3000 emails in my inbox. What does that tell you? <laughs> you need to unsubscribe to a lot. Of oh, stuff. totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's a crazy statistic. If you think about that, I mean, that's how much of your life, if you if you were to translate that into hours, how much time are you spending staring at a screen trying to plan or work on your day? It's amazing. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. So um, there's something that you talked about uh, in the past about a book that you read called The Shallows, mm-hmm. and it was it was it was life altering for you, and it's something that you talk about with. Uh, just absolute conviction because you know how true it is. And every time I listen to you talk about it, it, it is absolutely convicting for me. So maybe you could share a little bit about that Nicholas Carr book, The Shallows. Yeah, it, uh, good point. Nicholas Carr wrote a few years ago a book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And now this was uh, nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. So it's it's no slouch piece of writing. And, uh, and he has just really masterfully made the case that the way we are being um, inundated with all this screen time is actually affecting the way we think. It causes us to think less deeply, and uh, and it it really is basically remapping. According to scientists, they're able to show that our brains are being rewired because of the way information is being presented in such a frequency and such shallowness that it's causing us to 
actually become shallower thinkers. One of the things that he says in there, and this is a quote, with the exception of alphabets and number systems, the net may well be the single most powerful mind-altering technology that has ever come into general use. At the very least, it is most it is the most powerful that has come along since the book. Wow. And that's really a very profound statement. And one of the studies that he comments on is they they took a set of university students you know cuz all these psychology psychology studies are with university students are easy to to get on campus right. and recruit for a few bucks to take a study sure. but they had a number of them that came in and they basically read the same uh prose they read the same document on yeah. the same screen in one case one group just had the document and the and the story there um about some character or whatever and then they did a they did a comprehension test to see how much they, uh, they remembered of the study and how much they understood or how much they remembered of the reading and what they understood. And then the other group had the same text, but it, now it was hyperlinked so that if there was a name, for instance, uh, that they didn't recognize, they could click on it and it would explain the name. So it was basically helps to try to improve their comprehension. And what they found was it was totally counterintuitive from what you'd expect because the group that had the hyperlinks with all the helps, actually they had lower comprehension hmm. than the group that just had the text alone. Hmm. And what they what they realized as they were looking at it, and they did fMRI studies of the brain. What ends up happening What's is fMRI. Uh, so it's a it's a magnetic resonance imaging, okay, functional magnetic resonance imaging that allows you to see what parts of the brain are firing when you're doing a task. Got it. Okay. And as they're looking at the screen, they're seeing that when those people see a hyperlink, there's a microsecond where they have to decide that they're going to click on that link or not. And in that microsecond to decide even whether they're going to click, they lose their deepness of concentration about what it was that they were reading, mm. regardless of whether they clicked on it or not. And they found that comprehension increased. They, so they started removing hyperlinks and they found that comprehension increased with the number of links or a number of triggers that caused them to have to make that decision uh, went away. So because they can focus on what's in front of them without having to make decisions, whether to open something or not, or to click on something or not, to read something else or not, because they don't have to make those decisions and because they can focus, they can actually retain and remember and recall more. Exactly. Wow. Exactly that right. That makes so much sense. Exactly right. That's now, one of the other things that Nicholas Carr said in his book, and there's so many things here, but I just want to share this other quote with you. He said, dozens of studies by psychologists, neurobiologists, ed educators, and web designers point to the same conclusion. When we go online, we enter an environment that promotes cursory reading hurried and distracted thinking and superficial learning. It's possible to think deeply while surfing the net, just as it's possible to think shallowly while reading a book, but that's not the type of thinking that technology encourages and rewards. Mm. And we just need to be aware of this. this. These are the tools that we have at our disposal every day on our mobile phone and our computer. And we're spending more and more time as the studies, you know, we just talked about point out much of our day is spent saturated with these kinds of technologies. And we need to understand that they themselves are causing the subtle erosion of our ability to stay focused and to not be distracted. And I can't believe I haven't even read this book yet, but every time I hear you talk about it, I'm shocked that I haven't read it because I can't uh, emphasize the importance of this so much, especially in the world of social media where you get to see so many people go on so many different rants and the types of comments that you see people make 
you realize how shallow of a process they've put to uh, something as complex as deep as racism or a political stance or mm-hmm. someone's faith or someone's culture. And they just make these broad paintbrush strokes and assume that it's a generality that applies to all people or all races or all cultures. It is a shallow thinking generation. And you can always see it when you ask a simple question. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I think it really does behoove us to think beyond the shallow presentation of things that we get, especially in a, in a tweet or a post on Facebook or social media where it's easy to generalize and categorize things and make everything a, a matter of yes or no, mm-hmm. when there's usually deeper complexities that require greater thinking than what we're willing to give to it. Right. Because who wants to actually spend time researching? I'd just rather regurgitate a post I saw. <laughs> so especially if it's a clever meme right? <laughs> exactly i created one the well, other people day people think really i proud. do at work what i actually do at work <laughs> all right so i remember a conversation you had with me a long time ago when i was in a role that required me to multitask quite a bit and i think i was starting to lose it uh, a little uh, a little bit mentally and uh <laughs> I, I, remember you, I don't remember this. <laughs> and you and you asked me, hey, Armin, as I was complaining to you, have you ever considered not doing all things at once and tried to do one thing at a time or something to that effect? And it turned into the myth of multitasking conversation, which I thought was really good. And I, I think it's going to be something that's worthwhile in this conversation that we're having about distractions. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, I... I if- I think I am, uh, I've, let me just say, I've ran across a lot of people that, that behave like I do as well, which is like, you want to see how many things you can kind of fire up at once. And there's a certain gameness to saying, can I keep all these things spinning at the same time, you know, and, and just how do I optimize all the stuff that I've got going on? And, mm-hmm. and, and really there is a myth of multitasking. The more things that you try to spin up, the less effective you're going to be at any of them. What ends up happening is we create what's called attention residue. When we're working on a task. Attention residue? Residue, yeah. So okay. in other words, you're working on a task and then when you set it aside to work on something else because you're multitasking, trying to do a couple things at once, you're you're processing an email at the same time you're, you're watching a video or yeah. you're doing whatever. What ends up happening when you're focused on one task and you switch to another, uh, there's a switching cost that the time it takes to switch your brain doesn't stop on an instant. So it continues to work on the prior task. Well, as it's doing that, even subconsciously, you may not be aware of it, but subconsciously there's a tension residue. In other words, it's still working on the prior task. And what that means is, is that you don't have the full attention to give to the next task. So it's going to then make your next task, you're going to have lower performance with it. Well, just imagine if you try to multiply that and do a bunch of stuff at once, you're going to end up really creating a problem with it. Right. Now, Cal Newport wrote a, wrote a book called Deep Work, which I think is another one that I would recommend our listeners read. But one of the things that he says in there is when you switch from some task A to another task B, your attention doesn't uh, immediately follow. A residue of your attention remains stuck thinking about the original task. And he says people experience attention residue after switching tasks are likely to demonstrate poor performance in the next task. And the more intense the residue, the worse the performance. Wow. So just think about that. How often do you check email? You know, because that's one of those things that the the more you check email, for instance, like 
and I do this a lot. This is where I really get attention residue hitting for me because I will, I am prone and have this distraction of checking email quite often. What ends up happening then is that I know that there's email there that I'm not able to answer, but I've got to get to it at some point in time. So my brain now has become aware of something it needed to do that it didn't know until I checked it. Right. And so what I've done is I've added stress to myself knowing that I've got something more I've got to do when I didn't need to check email that frequently and add that stress to myself, I could finish what I was doing, then move on to it when I can process it. So one of the key things about email management is only check email when you're planning to spend time working on email. Otherwise all you do is add to yourself another piece of stress is something that has yet to do yet to take place. I love it. I I, I love this. I remember this being a profound moment for me because I realized I was doing my work based on a checklist, right? And checklists, they're, they're only as fun as the number of checks that you put in them, right? That's, that, that's the process of a checklist. It's, it's about making sure you got things done and, and how, and the more things I can get done in a day, the better I feel because there's less items left on that list. But often I found myself doing haphazardly work. Because I, I was so focused on putting the check there that I wasn't focused on the quality of the work being done. Yep. So moving from item to item to item as quickly as you could. Right. Because mm-hmm. it, it's a checklist mentality, mm-hmm. right? And that, that, but that, that is what multitasking does. Mm-hmm. It, it does even take the deep thinking process out of it. Right? It takes quality assurance out of it. It takes a lot of things out of it. So yeah. Anyways, that, I would, all that to say is it was a really well, personal conversation. Yeah, and and the 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 myth of of multitasking really is the thought that we can give we can divide our energies between things because it's like oh I don't have to be that concentrated in one thing. Well, that's true, but by by giving yourself to multiple tasks, what you think is at the same time, you're actually diminishing performance on all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that that was facts for me. Anyways, all that we're all, all this that we've been talking about is laying out the case that your distractions will kill your dreams. Your distractions will kill your bold idea. And if you're already in the middle of pursuing your bold idea, if you're allowing distractions to take over your day, day in and day out, more than likely, you're not going to accomplish the task of the bold idea. You're not going to achieve your goal. You're not going to achieve your mission. So these distractions are killer. So I guess what we're saying is if you can identify them, you can kill them before you're killing your idea. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. I mean, this is a special episode in my heart because not only the topic, but we have the generosity of our listeners that are making this possible. That's my favorite sponsorship so far. If we could get our podcast sponsored by our listeners every time, it would make my day because there isn't a greater compliment that we could possibly receive than that. Oh, totally. And, you know, we love our business sponsors as well. But right. there's something when you as an individual decide, hey, I'm going to invest in this because I'm getting something from it. That's right. And this is a passion project for us. It's not like we get paid for this. So anytime we see people investing in us, it means the absolute word to us. So thank you so much for doing this. And if you want to see this continue to happen, uh, please just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate and make your investment there. And this is a tax deductible contribution. (laughs) What we want to do now is give you 
five tools to beat your distractions before they beat you. We're going to do three short range ones and we're going to do two long range ones. So let me start with your calendar. If you want a tool to use to beat distractions, then establishing your priorities via calendar is the number one tool to beat your distraction. If it's not in your calendar, if it's not scheduled, whatever it is, whatever priority you have, whatever is aligned with your bold idea, whatever is aligned with your long-term goal or vision, if it's not in your calendar, the likelihood of you actually doing it is significantly lower. Um, when Harvard did a research on it, they, they found out the people who don't put a timeline to something that they have as a goal is they're 50% less likely to ever actually achieve those goals. Same thing goes with um, a written goal, right? If, if a goal isn't written, if it's just in your head, it's 50% less likely as well to ever uh, being achieved or accomplished. So by putting it in your calendar, you're one, writing it down and two, giving it a timeline, both at the same time in just bringing up your chances of achieving that goal significantly higher than if it was just something in your head that you know that you have to do at some point, but all you're doing is thinking about it and worrying about it. Uh, absolutely. Amen to that. And I keep several calendars, uh, one that allocates the time that I make with commitments with other people and one that is kind of like my personal time reminder calendar. So uh, however you set it up for yourself, calendar, I think, as you said, is the number one tool to beat distraction. Right Here's number two, the timer. You know, back to those, all those tools that we have, our, our phone, our watch or whatever, setting a timer is like taking your calendar in and uh, gamifying it. So you've got your tasks that you have lined up on your calendar. Now, when it comes to that task, now gamify it by putting what I like is a 20 minute timer. So I work in chunks of 20 minutes and I take a 10 minute rest that allows, again, your brain to recover uh, back to that whole attention residue thing gives your time for your brain to recover after 20 minutes of working on a task before you work and switch on a different task. And I like to break those 20 minute blocks into what I call focus blocks, which are working on a task and a freedom block where you're working on whatever tasks. In other mm -hmm. words, so a freedom block is like I can organize my desk, I can return email, I can do whatever I want, and then I'm back to a focus block. So what ends up happening is oftentimes for myself is when I'm into a focus block and I'm saying, okay, I'm going to work on something for 20 minutes. I don't know if this happens to you, Armin, but <laughs> as soon as I dedicate some time to work on something, everything else pops up in my head that I've got to do. It's religious. It, you know, it just pops up, <laughs> right? And so I know that there are things like, oh, I forgot to return to that email or I got to schedule this or I need to make this phone call or whatever. Those always come up when I want to focus on something. So knowing that I have a freedom block that follows, so I might do one or two or three focus blocks but then I'll put a freedom block in there to clean up all that stuff that I start thinking about during my focus time. When I know that I can get to it because it's been calendarized and I already have it set there, I'm much more relaxed to get it done. Oh, for sure. And it's so true, man. The I, As soon as you try to focus on something, how many distractions come up is unbelievable. If it's not a person or another person, it's 
a email, a someone knocking on the door. It's something. It's insane. It's 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 almost spiritual to me. <laughs> yeah, it it totally is. It's like, come it's, on. It's the it's the days are evil part of that. It's Make it the so, most of every opportunity. <laughs> so true. I've never. I actually never do the timer thing. I don't know why I don't. I I really should. There's a there's one more tool that I think you are a big believer in. I'm not quite sure. I'm a huge believer in it, but I think this will be good to talk about. Um, for you, a big thing is to-do lists. I know that, that that's a tool that you would add to this, but why should you create a to-do list if you have a calendar? All right, because here's why, I mean, because in your calendar, you're going to put the things that are a priority to you. Right. In your to-do list, you're going to record everything, even if you might want to do it, but you're not ready to do it yet. Okay. The key uh, for freedom in a to-do list is to recognize it's to-do, but it isn't immediately needing to be done. Okay. In other words, it's, you know, there might be some to-dos and some not to-dos. In other words, you're going to decide that you're going to do them later. But what you want to do, I think, is create a list that is reliable. And the reason for doing this is because of this psychological principle called the Zygartnik effect. The what? The Zygartnik effect. Okay. And it's named after a <laughs> Russian researcher who studied the the habits of waiters being able to remember orders without writing them down, hmm. but then forgetting them as soon as they've been fulfilled. And what she's uncovered is brain science that says we, our brain will continue continually remind you of something until it is done. Hmm. And it's that nagging little thing that says, you know, it's going to pop back up again and it's going to remind you that you've got something to do. Now you might say I'm more forgetful than that. And many of us are, but at some point in time, there's a, there's some stress that carries on when we think we have something we need to do. Our brain records that as you've got to do this. You got to do this. Don't forget to do this. And we may not consciously be aware of it, but we're always carrying it along. Now that creates stress. Now there's only two ways to get rid of that Zangartnik effect. One is to actually do it. The other is to put it in a reliable place where it can be retrieved that you need to know it. In other words, putting it on a to-do list releases our brain from that nagging thing because now we know, hey, I won't forget anything if I have to remember what it is that I was thinking I needed to do. It's in a reliable place and I can recall it. Sure. Now, the problem that a lot of people, and I think you talked about as well, Armin, have with to-do lists is this sense of shame that you don't you're not done with the to-do list and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and right, bigger because it doesn't bigger. get yeah you don't you don't put a lot of check marks in it right it just keeps growing faster than it starts then it gets smaller and what i would submit to you is then that to-do list is no longer a tool it's become a, a master which is what it often becomes that's why that's I'm, right yeah. and so you're just looking at the to-do list wrong think of the to-do list as a repository a bank uh, it's like having itunes where you have all your music now you may not want to listen to all your songs but you know where they all are if you want to you can always go and get a piece of music that you want to but you don't have to listen to all of them right you know you don't have to have all of them uh, playing at one time it's your idea emporium it's your idea emporium. That's a good way to think about it. So that is what you, you want to do. And the key is, is to beat distraction is to always know what you want to do next. Because what ends up happening is when you don't know what you want to do, you spend too much time casting about and right. then you're prone to distraction. Right. And I love 
the the writer Anthony Anthony Trollope is one of the most productive writers ever. And what they have said about Anthony Trollope is he always had a fixed time by which he'd write every day. He had a normal job, but he was the most prolific writer because he stuck to a schedule. And even if he had 12 minutes left in his writing block and he finished one book, he would start on the second book. You know, and now I would not do that. I, you know, I would just go like, hey, I'm done. Yeah. I did 12 minutes early and uh, I'm going to go, you know, have some ice cream and Netflix, watch. Netflix, you're and, come. And binge on Netflix. Exactly. Dang you, Netflix. <laughs> but he would just instantly move from one book and then start the writing of the other. That's insane. And that kind of discipline is really, I think, important for us to think about how we do that. And the one way to really make sure you have an awareness is to create a to-do list where you always know what comes next. It sounds like journaling, honestly. Oh, no, that's totally different. Really? Because, okay, if I were... if. If I think people are going to do a to-do list, I think they need to very, very strategically do a to-do list. They, they can't just have a to-do list. That I, I've just seen it fall apart too many times where I just think, okay, know how to do a to-do list for it to work for you. Know what works for you. Know how to prioritize. Know what categories are for. Know which ones are ideas. Know which ones are actionable, which aren't. Like There has to be some kind of a, a, a strategy around how they do a to-do list or otherwise I think it's just going to be a pain then it is going to be an asset. So I think, yes, I agree with you, a to-do list, but have a strategy and how you do it, make sure it works for you and doesn't depress you. Yeah, totally. I think the way you keep a to-do list from depressing you is to not to see it as your master, but as your tool. Right. It's something that should enable you and not drive you. It should be something that is your your knowledge repository, as you said, what was that emporium? Yeah. (laughs) Idea emporium. Um, It should be that, which is much more interesting than this taskmaster, which is gives you worth. Anytime a tool is there to give us worth. In other words, we feel good about ourselves because we got so many boxes checked. Yeah. Then we have things upside down. Yeah. You know, we have now turned the tool into the master and and not the other way around. You brought up journaling. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about journaling thing for you. It is a huge thing for me and it is our fourth tool to beat distraction. And now this is a long range tool and the way that it works in terms of beating distraction is I can think of, well, only one other thing we're going to talk about that next, but this is one of the most effective tools for us to improve our concentration. We talked a lot about how the internet is calling us to, causing us to think shallowly. Mm-hmm. When you spend time in the way I recommend is to write three pages nonstop. Uh, this is following Julia Cameron's uh, process in the artist way. She calls them morning pages. I just call it journaling just to be clear. <laughs> um, but she writes three pages nonstop on stream of conscious, whatever you want to write about. It can be anything. And there are times when my three pages are prayers. There are times when my three pages might be an outline for a talk, might be three pages of, of frustration, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. It doesn't matter, but it allows you to concentrate. And what I love about journaling is when you create the discipline of doing it every day, it, it's a time where you get to concentrate on a topic. Now, what you end up discovering and what I find is how easy it is I can write three pages in about 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes. But if I am highly distracted, I let myself wander. It can take me an hour wow. or more. Yeah. And, uh, and what is valuable to me when I journal is that it causes me to say, I'm going to stay at this. And even if I don't know what I'm going to write about, here's what I write. Hmm. I write a sentence that says, I don't know what to write about. 
And then I rewrite that sentence. I don't know what to write about. I don't know. What, I bore myself into the next topic to write about, Jeez. you know, because your brain just doesn't like writing that same sentence over and over again. Yeah, that's remind how teachers you, used to yeah, punish you in right. school back in the day. Exactly. You'll find something to write about. And I will I can't, never swear in class again. I will never swear. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, just that whole notion of punishment like that, just to write that same sentence. But Armin, I can't tell you how many times in in writing three pages that God gave me some breakthrough somewhere around page two and a half. And there have been times when I processed stuff with my dad and I processed all kinds of really deep stuff usually comes after the first page and a half or two pages of writing. In some ways, it's almost like I have to prime the pump or get rid of all the dross. You know, I have to spend enough time with it before I can start getting down to some of the deeper things Hmm. that are perplexing my soul. And I found that journaling is one of the most effective ways to beat distraction because it trains me to concentrate and think deeply about a matter. Wow. It's kind of like drilling a well. Sometimes you just have to get deep enough before you hit water. Exactly right. That's awesome. Uh, Or oil. Or oil. (laughs) I prefer the oil. You get more money from an oil well. (laughs) Black gold, folks. Black gold. All right, so the fifth and final tool, this is hugely important, especially in a society that has now uh, come to a point where we read less than any culture or society in history. Number five is books. Long form reading remains one of the most effective ways to improve concentration. Um, And if we think about what Larry talked about in terms of uh, Nicholas Carr's book, The Shallows, this has become a significant tool that we have almost dismissed. Right now, the national average for the United States of America um, is, uh, and this is based on the number of books someone reads after they graduate from college right now in their entire lifetime is one book. It's astonishing, really. One book. After college, the average American reads one book their entire life. This, in a society where we're constantly reading and looking at pictures, we have given up something that allows us to think in deeper ways, to process things in ways that we would never consider, to take in knowledge in ways that allows us to focus. And just it gives us so many resources for us to set aside the daily distractions for us to become better versions of ourselves, to gain more knowledge, to solve more problems, and to just take on our ideas in a way that we could not before we could read. And what there's this quote we talked about um, from Mark Twain. Do you remember from our Reinventure Me podcast? Um, he said, "The I'm paraphrasing. He said, a person uh, who can read but doesn't has no advantage of a person that can read but doesn't or something to that effect. <laughs> I think that's right. A person who who can read but doesn't have no advantage over one who cannot read. Yes. 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 That's what it was. Yes. But anyways, all that to say is books is that number five tool um, that we want to put on your belt. If you're not reading, all you're doing is creating a disadvantage for yourself and a disadvantage to your bold idea and a disadvantage to your own dreams. Yeah. If you think about it, books and journaling are the uh, two sides of the same coin in terms of that long range, helping us overcome distraction, journaling being our output and book and reading it being our input. 
And uh, and those two things will really help hone your ability to concentrate and think deeply and to overcome this shallow thinking that uh, Nicholas Carr warns us about that we're getting inundated by our technologies. Well, we hope that those five tips, those five tools, your calendar, your timing, your to-do list, your journal, and uh, reading a book, those things, we hope that they are helpful to you. And in fact, that you have an action plan that maybe even now, one of the action steps from this episode is to think about each of those five and how you might be able to use them more effectively in your own life so that you can pursue that bold idea that's within you so that you can put your faith to work and you can bring out all that great stuff that is inside of you. The Holy Spirit is building up and causing to inspire you to say, yes, let's trust God to put this bold idea to life and to bring bring it out. So we would love to hear from you. If any of these are helpful to you, or if you have some of your own, let us know. Join the discussion at boldideapodcast.com slash 39, since this is episode 39, or leave a comment for us on our show line at 612-568-IDEA. That's 612-568-4332. Of course, we'd love for you to subscribe to our blog. Now our guests are writing for our show, and we'd love for you to get their inspiration as well. And you can do that at boldideapodcast.com. So this is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi, and we're saying so long. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.